Hey, well, it's great to be with you today. And, and honestly, if you're brand new here, I, I know we have some people that are brand new. Just welcome. We're really glad you're here. We hope you enjoy your time with us. More importantly, that, that God meets with you and just have a great experience and, and he speaks into your life in a way that's really helpful, kind of leads you in your next step of your relationship with him. Uh, but we're going to be going into our time of teaching right now. And so inside your program is your message note sheet. So I want to encourage you to take that out. It's green and white for those of you who are new. And I'll pull that out and then we're going to jump in. Are you guys ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're just thankful for what you're doing here in our lives and our church. We're thankful most of all for Jesus and who he is and what he does, the way he leads us. And we thank you today as we study this incredible passage about him being a rat or a ransom and what that means, implications for our life. We pray that you would unpack this for us. You'd speak to us by your spirit uh, clearly, directly, powerfully. We'd be changed as a result. And we go out of here ready to take the next steps in our walk with you. We pray it in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now for the last, I don't know, six or seven weeks. It's called Jesus, the Call to Follow. And for those of you who are brand new, this is actually the second part of a, a longer three-part series on the life and teaching of Jesus that we've been in from the beginning of the year, as seen through the eyes of one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is Mark. He's a close personal friend of the Apostle Peter. So about 30, 35 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Mark writes down uh, Peter's memoirs, either right before or right after he dies. Uh, so the, the gospel of Mark is really the story of Jesus based on the firsthand experiences of the apostle Peter. And so today we come to one of the most important passages in the gospel of Mark. It's something everything's been leading for. It's a watershed moment. Uh, it happens in chapter 10. But before we jump in there, uh, I want to set it up. Uh, for those of you who've been with us in this series, The Call to Follow, you remember that way back in chapter 8 when we started that, that Jesus reveals himself. For the first time, his men realize who he is, that he's more than a prophet, he's more than a, a great teacher, he's more than a miracle worker, that he is actually the Christ. He's the Messiah, uh, the long-promised king of Israel. But right away, Jesus begins to tell them he's a different kind of Christ than they were expecting. And he begins to share this message that he's come not to crush the Romans, but to be arrested and crucified and then to rise, whatever that, that means. They didn't really follow that. And then if they want to follow him, that they have to be willing to die with him. And so this is, this is shocking news. It's horrifying news. It's impossible for them to get their hands around it. From the time they're little boys, they've been raised on the story of Israel, that one day Messiah will come, turn all wrongs to right, destroy their enemies. Israel will be the, kind of the, uh, the lead nation of the world. And so now Jesus is saying completely the opposite. And so every time that he shares this, it's like they just can't get their hands around it. And so uh, a couple times already we've seen him make this prediction. And both times right afterwards, they say or do something that shows they have no conception. They're still kind of operating under their old paradigm that he's going to crush the Romans. Well, today we come to the third and final prediction. And, and it, but something new is going to happen today. Not only is it going to be the most detailed of the predictions, not only is it going to be the most specific of the predictions, but for the first time, Jesus is going to tell us why he has to come and die. Up to this point, he said he has to die, but there's no explanation of why. They're totally in the dark. Today, for the very first time, he'll pull back the veil and say, this is why I have to die. And so it becomes a, a critical uh, moment in the Gospel of Mark and the life of Jesus. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Mark chapter 10. If you've got your uh, tablets or your phones, you can turn your apps on. We're going to be at verse 32. And there in your note sheet, there's a section called the third prediction. And so chapter 10 and verse 32, it says, uh, they were, 
They were on their way up to Jerusalem. So let's set the stage. Uh, Jesus has been traveling south with his disciples from the Galilee south to Jerusalem. Uh, twice in route, he's made this prediction that he's going to be arrested and executed. Uh, and, and so they're getting a little nervous, even though they don't really quite understand this. And so this is, this is uh, that Jesus was leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, and those that were followed were afraid. And so now for the third time, he's going to take the 12 aside, he's going to tell them what's going to happen. And so now he's going to give this specific prediction, more specific than ever before. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, which is his favorite name for himself, he'll be betrayed. And so it's the first time he's told us he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. In other words, the religious, uh, political, spiritual leaders of Israel. And they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles, so to the Romans. And they're going to mock him, and they're going to spit on him, and they're going to flog him with whips and kill him. And three days later, he's going to rise. So this is the first time that uh, Jesus has been so specific where it's going to happen, exactly how it's going to happen. He's going to be arrested by his own leadership of the nation and then turned over to the Romans who will execute him. And so if you've been with us in this series, you realize this, you know this, that after each of the two previous predictions, that, that uh, Mark will include something that happens soon after that that shows that they, they truly have no idea what he's talking about. That they, they're going to they're say or do something that's as if he's never even told them this. And this is going to happen again. And what's going to happen this time, you, you might remember after the second time, that uh, after, shortly after Jesus tells them this, they're on the road from, uh, to Capernaum, their home base, and the disciples begin to get in an argument over which of them is truly the greatest. You remember that? Like, I know we're all really cool, but which of us would you say would be the coolest? Right? <laughs> And, and like in this new administration that Jesus is going to be bringing with the power and we're going to be the government and who should be the top leaders of that, they're arguing over that. And so you remember Jesus pulls them aside and says, hey, in my kingdom, we measure greatness differently. The path to greatness leads through the door of service and we, we, we measure it by how much you love. It's not by the power, prestige, your position. Remember all that? We covered that. Uh, and so that's what happened with the second one. Well, it's very similar. Today, after Jesus gives his third prediction, uh, two of his top lieutenants, uh, James and John, so they're part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Uh, they're going to be the, the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus. They pull Jesus aside and say, hey, we have a favor that we'd like you to ask, to, uh, ask you to do for us. He says, well, what is it? It's like, well, we don't want to tell you. <laughs> we just want you to say yes, and then we'll tell you. So have you ever had your kids do this? They just come up, hey, mom, um, will you promise me something? Well, what is it? Oh, I'm not going to tell you. Just promise, right? So Jesus is not going to fall for this. And so he's, he's going to push him like, no, seriously, what do you guys want? And he said, well, hey, when you come in your glory, I mean, we're going to Jerusalem, right? They're still picturing this. He's going to come in on a right white horse. He's going to take this power that he's, you know, calms storms and heals the sick. and demo. He's going to take that power and unleash it on Rome. He's going to bring his kingdom. And so they're like, hey, when that kingdom comes and all the glory thing, he said, I know we're on the way right now. What we'd like is we get to Jerusalem and you have your new throne, you know, because you're the king. We'd like to have two little thrones, <laughs> like junior thrones. We, could have, like, like, we thought it'd be really cool if like, one of us could be on your right and one could be on your left. Because after all, I mean, we're, we're in the inner three, right? And, you know, Peter, you know, Peter, he's such a loud mouth. Um, so, uh, just, you know, so they're going to make this pitch. And Jesus is going to have a great opportunity 
to do some more teaching about greatness because the other 10 are gonna hear about this and they are so ticked off because they've all been angling, right, for that position. And they're probably ticked off because they beat them to the punch. And so uh, it's gonna allow Jesus to do some great teaching on greatness. So here we go, chapter 10 and verse 35. So remember, he's just, he's just recently told them he's gonna go and be uh, killed. And so their next question is like, oh, great. Okay, well, what about us? We, we want to be great. So verse 35, so James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they come to him. They said, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, he wasn't born yesterday. So verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? He asked, well, hey, we were thinking, let us sit at one of your right and the other in your left in your glory. We've got a picture. We've got little diagrams here, um, how this would work, and this cool little thrones design. And so um, Jesus says, hey, listen, guys, you don't really know what you're asking. Like, he's just told them recently he's going to go and, and be killed, and, and they're still picturing glory. And, and so he's like, you know, um, you don't really know what you're asking for. And, and the reality is, is that those who sit on my right hand and left hand um, they're going to suffer greatly. And, and he said, uh, he says, he says uh, so he asked him a question. He says, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And in the Old Testament, the cup often refers to your destiny. It's like God gives you your cup. Here's your portion. Here's your food. Here's your cup. It's your destiny. So it can be a good thing. Like in Psalm 16, David says, my portion and my cup you've given to me. It's a blessing, right? But it can be a negative thing. Like Jesus will pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, take this cup from me. So it can be a good thing or a bad thing. And so he says, hey, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink? Of course, he knows what that cup's going to be, this cup of suffering. And can you be baptized? Can you be immersed with this baptism uh, of suffering that I'm going to be baptized. And they said, well, we can. And so they're, they're pretty convinced, like, yeah, we're, we're in. You know, we're going to ride with you, and we're ready to ride to battle, and, and we're in. And he says, well, you know, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. So he looks in the future. He sees their future, and he'd already told them they need to be ready to die with him back in chapter 8. You know, in chapter 12 of Acts, uh, J- uh, James will be the first apostle who loses his life for Jesus. He'll be beheaded by the sword. Uh, The apostle John, they will attempt to kill him by boiling him in oil, but he will not die. And so Jesus looks in the future and says, no, you are going to share this cup. And uh, he he said, um, but, verse 40, but to sit at my right and left, that's not for me to grant, it's not my call. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. So that's kind of God's call, Father's call. And so, of course, sooner or later, you know, that kind of news gets out. So the 10 hear about it, verse 41, and they become indignant. In the Greek, it's angry. They're really ticked off with James and John. And so Jesus calls them together. And so it's a time for some education, some, some instruction. So remember back in chapter 9, after the second, after the second uh, prediction, they're arguing who's the greatest. And he, and he, he taught them this lesson. He said, hey, where I come from, uh, he said, in, in heaven, the way we measure greatness it's not by power, it's not by prestige, it's not by possessions, it's not by popularity. We measure greatness by how much you serve. And the reason is, is because service is a natural outflow of love. 
And God's top concern, we love God, love others. So he, you see love in action by service. He says that's how we measure greatness. So he said, if you want to be great, you want to be the, the top, so that's, on it. that's a great ambition to be great in my kingdom. That's awesome. But he said, if you want to truly be great, you want to be the servant of all. And so we learned this lesson back in chapter nine. The path to greatness leads to the door of service. Remember that? And so now he's going to go back to that lesson. Hey, guys, let's go back to a little review here. And so he's going to take them back. And he says in verse uh, 42, he calls them together. And he says, you know that those who regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And so a lot of you have seen this in your life, in your business place, right? Someone gets a promotion. They're now in charge. They begin to boss people around, right? They, it's like, they just like to show people who has the real power. They, they like to mess with people's minds. They like to just kind of take the, take the big piece always, the perks. They're just very, this is, that's the way it is. He says, uh, and the high officials, they exercise authority over them. He says, but catch this. Look at those next four words. What does it say? Not so with you. He says, in this new movement that I'm unleashing, you're going to be leaders of the movement. It's going to work differently. As leaders of the movement, I'm going to measure your greatness by how much you serve. And so he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great, among you, and catch it, that's a noble ambition. You want to be great in God's kingdom, that's awesome. God's got a vision for all of our life. He wants all of us to be great. He says, but the path to greatness comes a different way. So he says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And now he's gonna tell us something new, something we've never seen in the Gospel of Mark. Twice he's told, three times he's told us now that he's going to be arrested and executed, but he's never told us why. Back in chapter eight, he said it must happen. Peter says it can't happen. Jesus says it must happen, but we don't know why it has to happen. They're in the dark. They know he said this, but no clue as to why it has to happen. And now for the first time in the gospel of Mark, we're gonna be revealed of why he has to die. And so what he says is, for even the son of man, and let me just do a quick little sidebar here, we, we haven't talked about this a lot in Mark, but Jesus' favorite name for himself is Son of Man. It comes from the book of Daniel. In the Old Testament, God gives Daniel a vision of the future of the nation of Israel. He sees four superpowers coming uh, in the future. They're rising out of the sea, each one represented like a monster. And then at the end of the last superpower, he looks in the future and he sees, and this is what Daniel says, I see one coming on the clouds of heaven quote, like a son of man. In other words, like a human being, not like a monster, like a son of man, like a human being. And he says, that, and that this son of man comes and he receives this kingdom that will never end, the kingdom of God. So Jesus picks up on that. At his time, it wasn't really a, a big messianic title, but Jesus picks up on it and starts to speak into that title. He is that son of man who will come in clouds of glory. And so, so he says, even the son of man, you know, even that great ruler that's coming, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a what? Ransom. A ransom. And that's our word. That's our word. It's ransom. He says, this is why he's come. I, I have come to give my life as a ransom. And so what I want to do today is, is in the time we have, break this down. And I want to, uh, first of all, give a couple of principles that flow out of this passage about this word ransom, what it, what it means for Jesus to be a ransom, what it means for us to live a life of ransom like him. And then we're going to come back at the end and ask a couple of questions and see how we're doing uh, in our life. So there on your note sheet, you have a section called The King's Ransom, The Message and the Model. And, and the first principle is very simple. 
Uh, it's, it's very clear. It's, I think for us as modern day Christ followers, it's, most of us know this. Some of it might be new, but for most of us, we know this. But what I want to catch in their day, this was spiritual dynamite. In their day, this was unthinkable, unheard of, completely revolutionary, uh, totally uh, out of left field, something they never saw coming. And it goes like this, that the king, this king, has come to die. And so like I've said, and, and we go back into their world, their time and space, this is something that had never occurred to them. Jesus has tried to tell them three times. They just cannot wrap their hands around. No, messiahs don't die, messiahs win. Messiahs don't lose. They destroy the enemy. They, they don't get crushed, they crush others. That's what messiahs do. He's tried to tell them, but they just cannot wrap their hands around this. It would be like us today if you were in the bookstore, uh, the one bookstore left in the world, and uh, you, you were like in the one Barnes and Noble up in Ventura or Thousand Oaks, whatever. But anyway, you, you're, it's like you're looking for a book to read. So you pick up a book and you start, yeah, I go, this looks like a good book. I'm, I'm going to read it. It's this novel. And it's this novel about the, and the hero. You know, maybe it's like a kind of an undercover. You know, he sneaks into the nation. He's the real king of this nation or something. Or he's, he's the good guy. He's the hero. And he kind of starts gathering his force incognito. And there's an evil empire there. And, and you know what's going to happen. He's going he's to lead him into battle. And at some point, there's going to be a confrontation. He's going to strip down this evil ruler. And then things, wrongs are going to be made right. And that's how novels go. And it's like as you're getting to it, the last chapter, and it's all coming to a head, like Lord of the Rings-like. You know, it's all coming to a head. And all of a sudden, you get to the cha last chapter, and they said, and they arrested the hero, and they killed him. <laughs> like, now you know why it was on the bang table, $3 for this book, right? <laughs> like, like, no one is going to buy a story like that. No one's going to go to a movie like that. Like, who wants to hear about a hero that gets destroyed? Like, that's not how the story goes. And so for us as modern day Christ's followers, even if you're not a Christian yet, you probably heard about the death of Jesus and know it's somehow important. And so this idea that, that the Messiah was going to die, it's part of a plan, it's for us it's like old news. For them, it was revolutionary. And the question is, why does the king have to die? And the answer is the single word, ransom. Now, when you think of the word ransom, what comes to your mind right away? Come on, the nine o'clock service is much better. Uh, I say the word kidnap, you think what? And I, I screwed it up now. I say the word ransom, you say the word? Okay, I gave you the answer, I didn't think you were gonna get it. Okay, uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, we think kidnapping, right? When you hear ransom, we think Colombian drug lords. We think Mexico cartel. We, we think uh, rich people snatched or kids snatched so that they could be sold back for a ransom. We, we think kidnapping. Here's what I want you to catch. In the ancient world, that's not what they thought. In the ancient world, they think prisoner of war. In the ancient world, they think slavery. Because here's what happens. I remember several years ago, I don't know, five, six, seven, ten years ago, I can't remember, that, that for a couple of years, I did a lot of reading in ancient history. I just wanted to bathe myself in ancient history, like Greek, Roman history, because I just wanted to, to understand the life of Jesus and the world of Jesus and the New Testament kind of uh, through, through the times it was, it was actually happening. And so I did a lot of reading. I, I read 
you know, Thucydides and Tacitus and uh, Herodotus and uh, Josephus, and these guys just kind of read their original writings. And one of the things that shocked me was how common war was in the ancient world. Like everyone's fighting all the time, constantly. And when, one, when they go to battle and you would defeat your enemy, you would capture your slave, the capture your prisoners, and you would sell them into slavery. And that's why some scholars will, would, uh, would say that over half the Roman Empire was slaves. And so it's very common. And so, but if you're from a wealthy family or you're a high political figure, chances are that there'd be people who wanted you back. And they would offer to pay what? A ransom to get you back. And so this picture of rent was not kidnapping. It's a picture of prisoner of war. It's a picture of slavery. And so Jesus says, this is why I've come. You, you want a metaphor? You want a picture? It's like this race of ours has rebelled against our great king. We have lost the battle. We have been taken into an enemy camp by our great enemy. We are prisoners of war. We're locked in a cell. We are slaves, and we, there's no way out. And that Jesus has come to rescue us as a ransom. You see? And that ransom is going to be not gold or silver. It's going to be his life. His life for our life. To ransom us back. To bring us home. All right? And so, so Jesus introduces this concept. The apostle Paul develops it. And later in the New Testament, when you get to 1 Timothy chapter 1, or 1 yeah, chapter 2, there on your note sheet, Paul is talking about how this works. He's kind of unpacking this concept of ransom. And so he says, God is our savior. And so uh, right, we're the rebel race. We've, re we've rejected uh, our, our God. We've committed high treason against our king. And so what he should do is put a sentence of death and wipe us out. Well, we do have a sentence of death, but he wants to make it right. He wants to bring us back. He wants to ransom us from our enemy. And so it says, God, our savior, he wants what? All men to be what? Saved. And so remember Romans 5, while we were his enemies, Messiah died for us. And so, so he, he wants all men to be saved in spite of our treason, and he wants to, us to come to a knowledge of the truth. We're, we're living in deception. He says, for there is one God and there's one what? Mediator. mediator. Now we know what a mediator is. A mediator is go-between, someone who tries to reconcile or bring to resolution two parties that are odds. What Paul's going to say is that God is on one side of the table in heaven. He, he's the one who's been sinned against, violated. We are on earth. We are the ones that have rejected his rule. There's a price over our head. We need a mediator. And so he says, for there is one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, the God man, right? He's got one foot in heaven. He's got one foot on earth. He's, he, he's the bridge between us. And he says, uh, who gave himself as a what? Ransom. A ransom. All right, and so, so, so you catch the picture, right? So for the first time in the Gospel of Mark, we understand why Jesus has come. He's come to be a ransom. He's come so that we can be let out of our spiritual prison. He's come so that the sentence of death that's over our life can be expunged. He's come so that all crimes on our record, and we can receive the gift of amnesty. So we can lay down our arms, come home to our true king, receive the gift of his spirit, the gift of forgiveness, live a new life and be set free. That's the story, right? That's the story. It's the story of ransom. And for the first time, he says, this is the vision. It's bigger than just delivering Israel from their current enemies and then you all die. It's bigger than that. I've come to ransom the race. That's why I've come. 
Okay, so this king's come to die. Now, number two. The second principle, though, and this is what we're going to spend some more time with, is that the king, this king, calls us to follow. In other words, that he came to be a ransom, but in a sense, he calls us to follow and be a ransom for others. Not in the same way. I want to be clear here. Not, not, you know, his death makes us right on the cross. I'm not saying that, but, but he came to live for us so we might live. He calls us to come and lay down our lives for others that they might live. And so I want you to think about this. As important as this passage is in terms of teaching us about the ransom, why Jesus came, I want to remind you of why Jesus is bringing this topic of ransom up. The reason he's bringing it up is because his men are arguing and fighting over who are going to be the top seats of leadership in the new cabinet. That's what they're arguing. And so Jesus says, hey, listen, the way we measure greatness in my kingdom is totally different. We, we measure it by how much you love. And so we learned this last time in chapter 9. We learned this, that we, we asked the question, why is service such a big deal in God's kingdom? And, and then we answered it by saying, it's because service is the practical outworking of love. If you love someone, you serve them. Service is the way you measure love. And that's the t God's top value. We love God, love others. And so, so Jesus says, hey, guys, hey, you've got this all wrong. You're, you're shooting to be number one. You're shooting to be great. He says, but the way, the path to greatness leads through the door of service. And he says, and he says, I, my life would be the ultimate example of that. And he says, like, I'm going to come and serve you even to the point of death of being a ransom. So catch this, the whole reason he brings up ransom as an illustration of the life we're called to live. Does this make sense? And so what Jesus is laying out, what I want you to catch is that the reason Jesus came to, uh, the reason Jesus came was not just so he could be forgiven, but so he could be transformed, that we could be like him, that we could be a person who lives for others. Now, we've, we've been uh, studying, we've seen this uh, throughout, um, we, we've seen this throughout Jesus' life. We've seen this life of service. Uh, we talked about it a few weeks ago in chapter 9, but I want to go back and recap just briefly so we emotionally connect with this. Uh, the, the first time we meet Jesus, he's at, uh, he launches his ministry in Capernaum. It was a Saturday in the synagogue. He sets a free, a free a man from demon possession when he's confronted. Uh, that night, it's late at night, and Jesus is, uh, all the sick of the city come to his door. And I want you to, this is exhausting work. He's like a doctor with an un, like a long line of patients. And he is gonna, he's going to deal tenderly with each one, heal each one. By the end of the night, it's very late. And so he's going to get up the next morning while it's still dark. Because it's the only time he can get time alone. And he's going to go out by himself and he's going to pray. And it becomes kind of a model of his life. How busy his life's going to be. When you get to chapter 2, Jesus is approaches a man who's a social reject, a religious reject. He's collecting uh, customs taxes at a customs booth on the edge of Capernaum, on the great trunk road that connected the, the, the ancient world. And he's a, a moral reject because he's uh, disobeyed the law. He's, he's working with the Romans. He's bought into them. He's, he's kind of compromised his soul. And we watched as Jesus went and loved on him. And he, he offered him a new life. 
and, and he said, I want you to follow me, and I want you to be a part of my inner circle. I want you and my team. And we watched him reach out and serve this man, and then go to his house later and have a party for all his far-from-God friends. We watched in chapter four as Jesus is so tired after a day of teaching that when they take a cross, they go across the, uh, the sea. He falls asleep on a pillow in the back of the boat, and even though they're almost swamped with this huge storm coming up, they're almost swamped, they're almost going down, the boat's soaked, he's soaked, he doesn't even wake up because he's so exhausted from loving people. When you get to chapter five, the boat lands, he sees a demoniac running at him at full speed. The man's got a legion of demons. He is naked and screaming. He lives in the, the tombs. He cuts himself. They has supernatural human strength. They, they tried to uh, chain him, but he breaks through the chains. And Jesus loves this man. And he frees him from the demons. And by the time we see him, this crazed man, when by Jesus leaves, he's sitting there clothed in his right mind. Later on in chapter five, this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, a, a religious reject, she's unclean. She can't have relationship because of this bleeding. She spent all of her money on doctors. She fights her way to Jesus. She's terrified when she feels him heal her with, without him knowing it. And Jesus tenderly turns, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He loves on her. You get to chapter six. His, his men have come back from this big journey uh, preaching tour. And they come back and they're exhausted. They're, life is so busy they can't even get a meal together. And Jesus says, let's get away. Go to the far side where no one is. They get in the boat. When they get there, the crowds have seen him. Thousands have come around. Jesus puts aside his plans for R&R. &R. He teaches and heals all day. That night he feeds five to 10,000 people before he sends everyone away. He goes up in the mountain because it's the only time that he can get alone. He's there till three o'clock in the morning. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Jesus serves because Jesus loves. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you're highly educated or you're a prostitute in the red light district. It doesn't matter if you're a, a, a Roman or it doesn't matter if you're a Gentile or a Jew. Wherever he goes, Jesus just loves people. And because he loves people, he just serves people. And here's what I want you to catch. This is why Jesus has come. He's not come just to be our ransom so we can remain narcissistic selves. You know, before we come to Jesus, we're spiritually dead. We live for ourselves. It's all we know. It's all about us. Look at the marketplace. Look at where you work. Look at the, your extended family or whatever. We know how this works. We're a race of myopic people. We live for ourselves. It's all about us. It's all about using people. It's all about like James and John, finding your way to the top and then using your authority to make others serve you. It's who we are as a race. We're a broken race. We're a dysfunctional race. We are a narcissistic race. The history of the world is a history of destruction because of it. You look at our world today, the world is falling apart because of it. there's something seriously wrong with the human race. And Jesus did not come just to forgive us. He came to change us. You see, the ransom, he did not ransom you so that you could remain a screwed up person. He ransomed you so you could become like him. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And so that by the power of his spirit, 
He comes to live within us and he begins to say, no, it's not that way, James and John, it's this way. And brothers, so they're gonna learn that lesson. They're gonna go on to be two of the greatest leaders of the early church. They're gonna lay down their life for Jesus. They're gonna write Bible. They're gonna become the apostle of love. They're gonna learn, they're gonna change. Jesus can say, it's not that way, it's this way. It's not that way, this way. And that's what he does in our life. He comes and says, it's not that way, it's this way. It's not that way, it's this way. You used to do it that way. It's not like that anymore, it's this way. And he shepherds us and he teaches us. And as we listen to the spirit, he transforms us. You see, he died, he came as a ransom, not just so you could be forgiven, so that you could be set free. Set free from the prison of self that we were born into. That we might become a person who lives for others like he does. And that's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is he died for you so you could live for him and live for others. You see? And so it leads us to a couple questions there. And there in your note sheet, there's a questions. That's called the king's ransom. Two questions. And the first question is for those of you here who have not yet given your life to Jesus. I, I know that there are those of you here, you've come to Rocky Peak, it might be your first time, it might be your fifth time, it might be in coming a year, and, and honestly, you sense God here. I, I know, I've talked to you, you sense God here, there's something here just coming on the campus, you sense his presence. When you come in and worship starts, it's like you, you sense his presence, and there's something drawing you, and, and you've listened to the teaching, and it's made sense, and you've even begun to apply some of it in your personal life, and you feel yourself inching towards uh, God, but the reality is you, you have not yet Ask Jesus to be your ransom. You haven't yet uh, accepted the offer. And so the first question is, have you accepted his offer? Have you accepted his offer? See, a ransom has to be accepted or rejected. It's got to be received or rejected. And so the offer's on the table. The mediator is there. God's on one side of the table. You're on the other side of the table. There's a sentence of death over your life. You have rebelled against the great king. You have rejected your ruler. You have gone your own way. You have done your own thing. And there is a sentence of death for high treason against your true king. And yet, crazily enough, that true king sits across the table, God your savior, who loves you and wants to bring you back. He wants to make a way. And there's a mediator between you, the man Christ Jesus, and he is offering you a new life. He says, my life for your life, it's a ransom. You accept the deal, it's a free gift. You come over the line, you come into my kingdom. It's the deal, it's, it's offer. Now to do that, you're gonna have to lay down your arms. You're gonna have to say, mea culpa, I was wrong. You're gonna have to walk into the truth. You're gonna have to surrender to your true king. But this gift he offers you is a gift of total amnesty for all crimes you've ever committed against the king, past, present, and future, the gift of his spirit, the gift of a new life, this life, and forever, and it's free. It's free. And that is quite the offer. But it's an offer that has to be received or rejected. And to not receive it is to reject it. And the Gospel of John says, to those who received him, he gave them the power to become sons of God, children of God. It's either receive it or you don't. And catch this, if you, to not receive it is to reject it. So catch this, as you're sitting on this side of the table, if you've not given your life to Jesus yet, there is a sentence of death for high treason over your head. There is only one way that season, that sentence gets removed, and it's through the ransom. 
And so the question is, will you receive that ransom? And if you say, I'm ready to do that later today, you're gonna have a chance to do that. The second question is for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and it's a really broad question, it's a big question, it's not sort of a yes or no question, it's more of a spectrum question, but let's, go, let's, get, let's get at it. It's like this, are you living for others? Are you living for others? Now you see what I mean, it's not like yes or no, yes I am, no I'm not, it's really like a spectrum, right? Now here's what I want you to catch, as a follower of Jesus, when he chose you and, and chose to, to bring you into his kingdom and you came to Christ, when he chose you, um, you started a journey. And that journey was moving from living for self towards living for others. And so the question is, are you moving up that scale? Because the reality is, as you follow Jesus, as you listen to the Holy Spirit, uh, as you say, this way, not that way, and you follow him, what happens is he changes, and we, we begin over time to live increasingly for others and less for ourselves. And so this should be happening. And so the question is, if you look at your life a year ago, you compare it to that, are you living more for others than you are a year ago? And so we should all be able to say yes. If we can't say yes, there's something drastically wrong. What it says is we're not listening to the Holy Spirit. We're not allowing to mentor, we're not letting to shepherd us. You know, back when we first covered this, covered this topic of servanthood um, a few weeks ago in chapter nine, uh, one of the lessons we learned is that for Jesus, one of the things he's trying to communicate to us as Christ followers is that for us as Christ followers, service is not an occasional act. Service is our core identity. It's who we are. We serve because we love. And as he transforms us, we love more, we serve more, and so service is part of our core identity. You know, I was thinking about this, it was, it was Friday morning this week, and, and I really felt like um, the Lord woke me up. I was gonna say the Lord woke me up. Actually, Lynn woke me up. Um, <laughs> but then the Lord let me know that it was for a reason. Uh, and so it was my day off, and typically I try to get a little extra sleep, but it's 5.30, and so, you know, it's just clear he wanted to. And as I was laying there, uh, some thoughts just began to come. And they're really profound thoughts. In fact, I'm not, I'm not really sure I can really communicate them clearly. They're kind of new, kind of new thoughts. But I, I got up and I went downstairs and began to journal. And it was these thoughts, it was about this passage, and it was about what Mark is doing in his gospel. I, I don't know if you think of it this way, but you know, the gospel writers are very creative people. I mean, they're telling the story of Jesus, but they have to choose which stories and which order and how they arrange them. They're, they're using very creatively to tell a story. And so, the Gospel of Mark, what, what, what struck me as I laid there at 5.30 in the morning, what began to come to me was just how Mark has structured his Gospel. And so in this series, we've seen these three, these three predictions of the death of Jesus. And we've seen how after each one, what happens next is very profound. That after each one, the disciples misunderstand altogether why Jesus came, and it becomes very evident. And so after each one, Mark includes an event that happens afterwards to help us understand how in the dark they are and how they don't get it. And so remember, after the first, after the first prediction, remember Peter said, oh Jesus, you can't die. Remember that? And then Jesus went on to say, hey listen, if you're gonna follow me, you have to take up your cross. Remember that? That's number one. Number two, after the prediction, they're arguing on the road to Capernaum who's the greatest. It leads to teaching about service. Number three, after the third prediction, 
Peter and John, Peter and James, James and John, arguing. <laughs> Eventually get there, just hold on. Uh, James and John arguing over trying to get Jesus to give them the right hand and the left hand, two little thrones, leads to this argument over who's greatest. And Jesus now, the third time, tells us about ransom. And what was coming to me that morning, 5.30 in the morning, as I woke up, was just seeing these three predictions flowing together like the stream and kind of seeing them as a whole. And what struck me is when Jesus says in the first time that if any person would follow me, they must take up the cross. We now at the end of the story know exactly why Jesus took up his cross. He took up his cross to be a ransom. And so when he took up his cross, he took up his cross because he was living for others. And what struck me is that when Jesus calls us to take up our cross, it's what it's about. It's about living for others. And if there's any question, Mark says, after number two and number three, it's all about service. It's all about service. And so what began the autonomy clearer than ever before was how the cross of Jesus and a life of service are intertwined. That when Jesus calls a man or a woman to follow him and to take up his cross, he's asking him not just to die to self, but to live for others. You see, the cross of Jesus is a call to live for others. And so, the last time we were in chapter 9, we talked about this call to live for others, and we talked about how service is not something we do occasionally from time to time. It's a whole perspective on life. It's part of our core identity. And we talked about these three spheres of service. And I'm not going to go into any depth, but I just want to remind you, they're, they're coming up on the screen. We talked about that the first place we're called to serve is our home, our family and friends, our closest sphere. The second one is our church, the church of Jesus, this new community, this new family of God that is followers of Jesus. We're called to serve and love one another in a wide variety of ways, but especially in our spiritual gifts. And then we talked about this third area of service. It's the world. That Jesus said, we're the light of the world. And so we're, we're called as followers of Jesus to serve the world, to light it up, to be the salt of the earth to be the light of the world. And as the apostle Paul says in Galatians 6, it says, as long as you have opportunity, do good to all people, especially to believers. And so, so the question then for you today is, are you living for others in these three spheres? But what I want to do today in the time that we have left is focus especially on this last sphere. Because what I've seen over the course of my life is for at least Christianity in America for the most part, when we talk about service, we've talked about the two inner spheres. We'll talk about serving our family, a husband serving his wife, a wife serving her husband, parents serving kids. We'll talk about um, the second sphere of serving in the church of Jesus, using your gifts and spiritual gifts. And we'll talk about these kinds of service quite a bit. And of course, they're, they're great things to talk about, the first two circles. But over the course of my lifetime, what we've talked about less is serving the world. There's almost been a sense when you come to Jesus that now you need to leave the world behind. 
And so we disengage from the world. And frankly, after we've been a Christian about two years, we often have no more contacts, significant contacts with non-believers. And what we learned in our last series is no, in our last year in, in, in the assignment was no contact means no impact. And so, so today I want to focus, as we wrap things up, the next five or ten minutes, I want, to, I, I want to focus on this call to serve the world, the community. Uh, like I said, growing up, uh, this was something that I haven't seen as much, but what I've seen the last like 10 or 15 years, it feels like Jesus is waking up his church at large to this call to serve the world. You remember what he said? He said, you are the light of the what? the world, not the church, but the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So when Jesus came, when Jesus was healing the sick, when Jesus was loving that prostitute, when he was, uh, when he was bringing the truth, what was he doing? He was, he, was, he was lighting it up. He was saying, this is the way life is to be lived, a life for others. And now he says, your job as my people is to go out into a dark world and light it up, show the way. Follow me. He says, let your light shine before men so they may see your good, what? Works. And then glorify your Father. It would draw them toward the Father. He says, you're the salt of the earth. You know, so, so if we're not out in society, if we're not loving well, we're not making an impact, society goes bad faster. It's our job to be a preservative. And so what, what it seems to me in the last 10 or 15 years, if you look at the church around the world, that there is this movement among the church of Jesus recapturing this vision to be the light of the world. And, and I've sensed it here at Rocky Peak the last few years. For some of you, uh, for some of you, you remember that about three or four years ago, we began to do these, uh, these initiatives, we call them initiatives of the poor, for the poor. And so like, like today, we're doing one this, uh, this weekend and next of collecting socks for the homeless. But remember about three or four years ago, God began to put that in our hearts as a leadership team that the time had come to begin to focus our attention more on the outside. And sort of as a first step that we're gonna focus on those who are least of these out there. We're gonna love the poor. And so we began to do a variety, about three or four times a year, a variety of projects. We're kind of initiatives to the poor. So you remember that, that for example, we, we, uh, before Easter, the last few years, that we have decided to only drink water as a congregation, no other beverages that week. And then we save the money we would have spent, and we bring it in, and we're gonna give that to, to drill uh, water wells in Africa. And you remember we've done that for like the last three or four years, and every year it's raised over $30,000 just by that one week to, do, to drill water wells. And so it's, it's, a small, it's a small thing in one way, but it's helped orienting our mind to the world. It's helping to, to build this paradigm of service into our hearts as a church. And so from that point on, there were, there were, uh, they were building a church for the poor in Mexico. It was gathering food for the poor here in LA. It was gathering blankets for the poor. It was, it was, giving, um, it was, it was uh, purchasing farm animals for poor families around the world at Christmas time. It was uh, doing food uh, clothing drives to, uh, to uh, stock the new uh, thrift store for Hope of the Valley to support their new Genesee house for, for women who are abused. And so it's just gone on and on, a variety of things, three or four things here. And I really believe it was the first step for us as a church of kind of beginning to turn our attention out in a global way, our whole church. We've done it in global ministries, so it's the whole church. You know, one of the things I believe is that God has a vision for this church. 
And I, I think you understand this, but it's important to articulate it from time to time. That our job as a leadership team is not to come up with a vision for this church and to ask God to bless it. Our job as a leadership team is to discern God's vision for Rocky Peak and to implement it. And so when, when that happened, it was like I'd wanted to do that for years, but it just felt like God was saying, no, it's not time. And then the time came, and it was like a first step. And I, I really, since, you know, last year, uh, with the assignment and, and this focus on sharing Christ, remember last year that it was, uh, it was like a, it was a new step for us. It was like we have this vision and our vision is to unleash a movement of what? Passionate yeah, passionate Christ followers. And we, we define that in four different ways. And the last way we define it is by sharing Christ. And so last year, God began to stir in our hearts as a leadership team that we needed to focus on sharing Christ. And it's when we began to do that whole series on the assignment. We had our one life. So we, we all made uh, financial sacrifices to expand our campus for the people God's bringing, Right? And, and that will continue on. But it was, a, it was a time where God said, this is the next step of the church. This is it. This is the next step in unleashing a movement. It's, it's like focusing on those who don't know Christ and really having a time to focus and grow in that area. Well, this year, it seems like God is beginning to lead us in a new direction for this next year. And it's a new focus, taking some new steps on being a church that lives for others. Those on the outside. And so I want to share with you just practically some of the things you're going to be seeing happening in the next six months so you can just kind of a, a framework of this. You don't miss it when it's happening. So like this month, in, uh, you know, we're doing this uh, initiative for the poor, for, for the uh, Hope of the Valley. Next month, we're going to be doing a new initiative for the poor. It's to help the victims in Oklahoma of the horrendous tornado that went through last year. Remember back what, about May, there was a huge uh, tornado just destroyed Norman. We had a young woman in our congregation, and she came to me a few months ago and said, my God, just put it on my heart to go back there and to serve and to help, and I don't even know what I'm going to do, but I just feel like, like I'm supposed to go back there for at least a week and just check it out and help serve, and so she did, and she came back. She said, I really feel like God's put it on my heart that as a church we need to be involved in this. Well, you need to understand this. As pastor, I have people coming all the time to me wanting Rocky Peak to carry out their vision. And so I always tell them the same thing. Hey, it may be from the Lord, it may not. Well, just tell me, we'll pray about it, you know, but we're, we're really open, it can come from anywhere. And so as we prayed about it, we really felt like she was right. And so in, in December, we're gonna be doing an initiative for the poor where we're raising money for building supplies, two by fours, sheetrock, uh, doors, whatever. And then in January, we're sending a team back from Rocky Peak to go back to Oklahoma to help some people who've lost their homes rebuild their homes and churches. And you may be one of, you may be one of, it's gonna be a great opportunity. Many of you may wanna go because it's not Uganda, it's not Ethiopia, it's not over the sea, it doesn't cost a million bucks. You may wanna go. You may wanna go and help build. You may wanna go and help pray. You may wanna help go and encourage people. But that's gonna happen in, in January. And then we get to February, we're sending a team over to Liberia. Liberia is a new spot for us. We've, only, we've been done, doing some scout trips, but we've never sent more of a major trip. We're going to go over and help some poor pastors over there who are, uh, are coming together for a major pastor's conference. We're going to help them put that on and support them and do some other projects for them. And then at the end of, of, of uh, February, we're going to do something new we've never done before. And I'm extremely excited. I've wanted to do this for years. For years I've wanted to do this. And about two months ago, we had one of our staff 
uh, ladies come in. She said, Mike, I was driving to work today, and I felt like God put something on my heart. So we did it at a previous church I was at. I want to show it to you. And as she showed it to me, just something clicked and said, that's it. It's the time. And so I'm going to share it with our team. We've been praying about that. And so what's going to happen in February, we're going to send out, it's going to be a prototype. It's going to be small at first. There's only going to be room for 200 people. It's our plan right now. But we are identifying 10 uh, 10 agencies in this area, schools, secular schools, uh, uh, it could be uh, uh, homeless shelters, it could be rescue missions, it could be other projects. They're going to say, hey, we want to come and just on a Saturday, we want to serve you. We just want to serve you, we want to love on you. What do you need from us? And we're going to send 200 people out to 10 locations just to serve in the name of Christ. And it's going to be, it's just going to be the prototype of a new thing. It's going, to be, it's going to take a lot of planning, a lot of organizing. We're going to learn some things from it. If it goes well, the plan is about three times a year, we're going to go out and send hundreds of people out in, this, in the valley uh, saying, hey, we're here from Rocky Peak. We love people. We love you. What do you need? You need us to clean your bathrooms. You need us to paint your walls. You need us to dig your deal. Like, what do you need uh, to help advance uh, the force of, be a force for good in this culture? And we're, and we're excited about that. We're excited about that. And then we get to Easter, we're going to do another initiative for the poor. We'll probably do more water wells. And then we get to May, we're going to send a major team down to Mexico to build houses for the poor and to help that church that we're connected with down there. And so I just wanted to share with you, just as this week as I was preparing this message, I just felt like the Lord was saying, hey, it's time to just share with them what's coming. Just share, just take this because we're talking about service, we're talking about uh, living a life for others. Uh, Share with them what I'm doing in the hearts of leadership here so that when it comes they can be ready for it. And so I just want to share that with you, but I want to leave you then with this question. Is it, are you living for others? See, the question is, is that Jesus came to be a ransom for us to set us free, not only from the penalty for our sin, but set us free from ourselves. That we could rise with him to a new life, a life like his, that we could go through life as he did, loving people well whether it's in our homes, whether it's in our uh, church, or whether it's in our community. And so today we're gonna move into a time of communion. And here's what I want to do in this time of communion. First of all, communion, and and I want you to really listen in here. I know you think I'm just doing white noise uh, communion prep, but I'm not. (laughs) It's important. Today, as we take communion, communion is a picture of ransom, isn't it? And today, in perhaps a way you've not understood before, I want you to drink deeply. And I I want you to revel in the ransom that's been paid for you. His life or your life. Your relationship with God's not based on your performance, it's based on his. Celebrate the ransom. Secondly, as you take communion, I want you to remember that the broken bread and the blood that was shed that's representing the cup is a picture of the lives we're called to live for others. That we are called to be broken bread and poured out blood for others. That as he is, so are we called to be. That we're called to live. And so here's what I want you to do, very specifically. I'm gonna ask you, from my heart to yours, your pastor, when you're there taking communion, I want you to get alone. I want you to, or, or with the person you came with, I want you to spend some time praying. I want you to ask for two things. I want you to ask, Jesus, will you give me a heart of service like I've never had before? And then secondly, I want you to, I'm asking as your pastor that as we pray that you would pray and say, God, will you pour out a spirit of service on our church? 
to catch this, it's not service for service sake. It's service for love's sake. Amen. Would you pour that out on our church in this new season? So if you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, obviously this table's for you. If you're here, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'd ask you not to take communion because it is a, it's a picture of the ransom. If you've not received that ransom, you don't want to take it. But for those of you, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you say, I want to be ransomed. I can think of no better way than to go to the table today and to take the juice that represents the blood of Christ, to take the bread that represents his body, and, and to ask Jesus to be your ransom, to come into your life, to forgive you, to give you the gift of his spirit, to surrender to his leadership as your true king, to come home, and that he will come, and if you ask, he will be a ransom, and you will be reborn today. It will happen today. It will happen as you go, as you surrender your life, and you ask him, you receive this gift, it will happen today. Will you stand with me? Father, we thank you now as we come into this time of holy moment of worship. We come as your church. We have listened to your word. We have celebrated your ransom. We have heard your call to be a ransom. And we pray now as we come and worship, as we seek you, that you would meet with us and that you would answer these prayers as we lift our prayers to heaven to pour out a spirit of love and service in this church and our lives. We pray that you would answer that prayer and that because of that, your name would be honored. Many people would come to faith, come to relationship with Jesus as they experience your love coming through us as your hands and feet. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Let's go to the tables. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the ransom that you stood between heaven and earth as the God-man reconnecting us to our Father. We thank you for the death that you died, for the suffering you endured, for the joy set before you, for us. And Lord, we, we just desire so much to grow and to be like you, to be a person who lives for others, and lays down our lives for others, to be a ransom for others. And so we pray that by your Spirit, You'd shepherd us individually as a church. Set us into that freedom, your freedom, the joy that you have, the joy of others being others-focused. And Lord, as we come now, as we bring you our offerings, we pray you'd use these gifts to unleash a movement of truly passionate Christ followers. And many would come. The coming year, hundreds and thousands would come to faith, come to know you, to come to know you as a ransom. Because... We're walking with you. You're using us. You're, you're moving. You're using our gifts. Together, we're, we're partnering with you for something that will last forever. So we pray you use these gifts for that. And we pray, Lord, as we worship now, that you would come and be with us as we seek you as the redeemed. We pray in your name. Amen. Hey, well, I hope you can be with us next week. Uh, next week, we're actually wrapping up this second series. It's a huge milestone. And uh, I figure by June, we'll be done with Mark. So uh, we are right on track. Uh, anyway, um, uh, next week, we have a special message. Uh, it's, a, it's the last message in the series. Uh, it's a healing that, that Jesus does. It becomes a metaphor for Mark, uh, this creative writer of what Jesus does when he comes into our lives and how he opens our eyes to see life for the first time, not only who he is, but how life works. And so it's going to be a powerful uh, uh, message on, on the healing of a man named Bartimaeus, the only man in the Gospel of Mark that's mentioned by name uh, when he's healed. And so we'll be doing that. We'll be doing baptisms. And so uh, I hope to see you next week. Now, just a little bit of what's coming 
um, for, for uh, December, we're actually going to be doing a different series. We're going to be taking a break we'll, we'll, from the Gospel of Mark because the Gospel of Mark doesn't cover the early years of Jesus. He doesn't cover the birth, Jesus, uh, the stories, the, the events around his birth. And so I'm going to be doing a four-week series in December called Real Christmas. Uh, what I found is even as Christ followers, we, we often don't understand the significance, the meaning of Christmas truly, uh, where it fits in God's kind of the story he's telling. And so um, inside your program, you have these invite cards called the Real Christmas. We'll be putting these in in the next couple of weeks. There'll be extras out at the point if you need more. But here's what I want to challenge you. This is a great series to invite people to. Uh, this is a great series for non-believers to be invited to. I think it's, this is a time of the year where people's hearts are a little bit more open towards spiritual things. It's, it's a great thing. Hey, we're doing a thing at Christmas and the real meaning of Christmas. And, and, uh, and so I want to give these, I want you to put these on your refrigerator this week uh, and begin praying and saying, God, is there anyone that you want me to ask or any one lives you want me to ask or people in my, my neighborhood or people in my career or soccer teams or whatever it is? Uh, because the reality is, as people come, uh, hear the message of Jesus, uh, his ransom, uh, many times their lives will never be the same. And you can, you can play a part in that and being the person that helps to be a mediator, that helps to bring them to Christ. And so I want to ask you to, to start praying specifically and saying, God, is there anyone in my life that you're just calling to that you want me to partner with you during this Christmas season? So we'll come back to that the next couple of weeks, but want to get that on your radar. You've been thinking and praying. Now, until next week, may the Lord be with you. May he truly be your ransom. May you understand in a way that you've never understood before that your relationship with God, your core relationship, is not based on your performance, it's based on his. And may you also understand that he came to die for you so that you could live for others. And may this be a week where the spirit is strong in your life, where he speaks clearly step by step, teaching you how to follow the way of the cross which is a way of resurrection via death. That as you die to yourself, you might rise with him to a whole new life. It's a life of freedom. It's a life you were created for. It's a life for others. God bless, and I'll see you next weekend.